Uh, we're going to be talking tonight about uh, Thyatira. Again, this is part two. Again, thank you to Jan for last three Wednesdays filling in for me. Thank, thanks, Mom, for doing that. And uh, we're going to pick it up kind of where she left off and, and talk more about uh, Thyatira tonight, the Tolerant Church, and, and more about Jezebel and, and looking at not just the, the character or the commendation that she covered last week. We'll review that a little bit, but more of the condemnation and then his counsel or the exhortation of Christ, the correction, the word of correction to this church. Uh, let me just uh, get going by, by asking a few questions tonight. Uh, what are some things people today, what are some things people today make gods or idols out of? What are some things people make idols or gods of today? Celebrities. What's that? Celebrities. The celebrities. Celebrities, yes. Okay, okay. Celebrities, athletes, yes, okay. So they idolize people, celebrities, athletes, and so okay, good. Anyone else? Money? Money? Yeah. Fame, success. What else? Relationships, statutes. Children, yes. Yeah. Yes, a lot of different things in there. Uh, what are some things that were considered sinful when you were growing up that are no longer considered sinful today in the church? That's a wide open question. You're going, for example, I'll just start it out. When I was a kid, you, you didn't want to mow your lawn on Sunday because that was the Lord's Day, and if you would caught mow a lawn Sunday, you're the worst heathen that was around. So what would I do? I would go out, and Mom was leaving, and Mom would go out, go away for the weekend, whatever. On, just out of honoriness or contempt, I would go mow the lawn on Sunday just to get the people in a little town of Hospers, Iowa, 600 people. For those that are listening, I have a cousin listening to this, but uh, just, to, just to tick people off, you know. Uh, we weren't allowed to go swimming on Sunday. And, and, and that kind of changed somewhat in that time, but it was just the Lord's day. And so it was a day that belonged to God. So that, that was some of the things. Uh, what else? Just movies. Yeah, movies. All right. Roller skating. Roller skating. Okay. Was it because the music associated with the roller skating rink or what? Because there were sinners there. Because there were sinners there. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay, reading the National Geographic. Okay, back when I remember, there's like a lot of naked pictures of African women. <laughs> remember that, all right? Ah, okay. Okay. Okay, for ladies, yeah, no lipstick. You couldn't wear slacks. Had to wear a dress. Couldn't cut your hair short. All right, remember that. Matter of fact, when I went to Brazil in 1987 on a missions trip, 20 of us from Trinity Bible College. Um, in some of the assemblies of God churches, and this is in 1987 in Brazil, men sat on one side, ladies sat on the other. All ladies had long hair. I mean, so there was that distinction, that division, if you will. Um, okay, somebody else. Red coats. Red coats? Red coats. What was that? It was the sign of being a, 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 a trough. It was signs of being a, a working woman. Okay. A red, a red jacket. I never heard of that one. Like the red light district kind of thing? Yeah. It's kind of tied with that? I did, okay, I didn't know. I've never heard of that one. Anyone else? You weren't allowed to go anywhere, but you had to stay home. Yes. Okay. Family. Okay. It's interesting, isn't it? Bill. I'm from the South. All right. So in a, in a societal way, 
Okay. Yes. The blue laws were based the blue, on... The blue, yes. So shopping and, yeah. And then the Christians messed all that up and wanting to go out to eat, and now restaurants have to be open to accommodate the Christians. And, <laughs> and then, remember that, I don't know if you remember this, but the distinction, well, if there was a bar in that restaurant, you shouldn't be going to that restaurant because there's a bar there. And like, now today we have sports bars and stuff, you know, and uh, we think nothing of that. Blue, what's that? You've never heard of Blue Laws? You've never heard of blue laws? No, oh, yes, that's what he was talking about, blue laws. Sunday blue laws of not working on Sundays. And there's still some states and or small rural communities in America that still, if you will, have the blue laws in place or where businesses are closed. Um, it's not an all bad thing. I mean, then because when things were closed on Sunday, you didn't have the, the sports competitions of the kids' soccer games. And I mean, today, nowadays, Wednesdays or midweek service and Sundays mean nothing to the sports teams at the high schools or junior high leagues or whatever. And so we have all that going as well. Um, do you ever wish it was like kind of the way it used to be? You know, um, didn't life, life seem simpler? Um, you know me and you know that I like the Andy Griffith show, being my favorite show. And I could, a show comes on and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the next line before it's on because I've seen them and memorized them um, and, and like them. Uh, but, uh, for example, this morning I got up and I was eating my cereal and had it, I was eating, sitting in my recliner and I had the Andrew Griffith show on. And I said out loud, oh, Mr. Wheeler, oh, Mr. Wheeler. That was a show where Aunt B falls for the handyman a little bit. But I know the lines before they're saying the lines. It's kind of funny. Um, why do people compromise what they know is right? Anyone? Because what they want as their fleshly desires. There it is. Because what their flesh desires overrides what they know to be right. Very good. Back to Rebecca. Here. Okay. Same thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's what it is. Our our flesh. Uh, our flesh dies. Uh, does not die easily. Put it that way. All right. Uh, what sins do we tend to tolerate in our own lives or in the lives of our Christian friends that when we shouldn't do so, when we should not do so? What sins do we tend to tolerate in our own lives or in the lives of our Christian friends when we should not? <laughs> All the above. <laughs> All right. I've always defined sin as something, doing something that Jesus wouldn't do or something he told us to do that we don't do. You know, it's pretty simple. But, uh, and then finally, without answering the question, what have, if anything, have you been tolerating in your life that you need to reject, repent, and change? Um, I came across this yesterday, and I thought it was so good because it tied into tonight's lesson. And this is from Johnny Erickson Tata. And here's her quote. Listen to it. And gradually, though no one remembers exactly how it happened, the unthinkable becomes tolerable, and then acceptable, and then legal, and then applaudable. I never in my life would have thought that I would see the day in America where when a state has passed 
very liberal abortion laws would applaud, cheer the murdering of babies. I'll just tell it like, like mom told it last three weeks, like I've always been telling it though. You can't sing Jesus loves me on Sunday morning and then vote for a candidate that supports abortion on Tuesday at the, at, at the election. All right, and, and so, um, so her quote uh, is, is really, I think, right on. You know, um, the unthinkable becomes tolerable and then acceptable and then legal and then applaudable. You know, there is, I call this, what I call this is, and when it comes to sin, the, the devil is a genius at what I call incrementalism. If, if, you can, if you can just get us to do this, if we just give him a foothold in this area or that area, before, before we know it, he has the keys to the house. And, and so, little by little, and it doesn't happen overnight, but little by little, we, we compromise in that. And then with that... We'll get to Revelation 2 in a minute. I've been missing teaching, so hang on. This is from Tony Perkins. I got an email yesterday. Tony Perkins, who is the Family Research Council. Gentlemen, I respect this guy highly. love this guy. love what he does. He's on the front lines. He's on, like Kathy Herod in Arizona, on, on the attack of the enemy. But he says, Dear Brian, yesterday news broke out that Montgomery County, Maryland Public Schools, right outside of Washington, D.C., has released an LGBTQ-friendly book list that teaches words like intersex and drag queen to children as, long, as young as pre-kindergarten. By first grade, children will be taught what it means to be non-binary, neither boy nor girl, and asked to decide what pronouns fit you best by first grade. Will parents in Montgomery County stand up in protest? Nationwide, parents who push back on this kind of indoctrination are, are, are already being called bigots. In other words, if you disagree with what, what we're trying to teach and what we're trying to allow your kids to become or whatever, have them choose, then you're a bigot. And he says, yet the Senate is about to vote on a bill, and that was today, uh, that will further marginalize parents concerned about their children's education. This vote is scheduled to take place here tomorrow, which is today. I got this yesterday. If the so-called, this is what it's called. This is the way this, the enemy deceives. If the so-called Respect for Marriage Act passes, disrespect for the institution of marriage will become national policy. The Senate will paint a bullseye on the backs of concerned parents and people of faith who don't want to see one more woke agenda item pushed through their local school. Remember I passed out the article three weeks ago about Christians having a mark on their back? And if you're going to stand up for Christ and be a real Christian, you will, you will be marked out. And that's what, exactly what he's saying. The Senate will paint a bullseye on the backs of concerned parents and people of faith who don't want to see one more woke agenda item pushed to the local school. This destructive bill goes further than the status quo. It equates belief in natural marriage with racism. Do we want this being taught in our schools? This bill also subjects adoption agencies, women's shelters, and other nonprofits that serve their communities to further risk of lawsuits if they do not bow the knee to the LGBT agenda, even if doing so would harm the people they are called to serve. And it supercharges these religious freedom violations by creating a right of private action arming any private activist with the ability to bring harassing lawsuits that could take years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to settle. This oppression 
would be backed by the full weight of the federal government and aimed at squarely and aimed squarely at anyone who dissents, including concerned parents. Make no mistake, parents concerned about the crazy policies being pushed in their local public schools will be further muzzled and sidelined by the passage of this bill. Senate Democrats need 10 Republicans to join them. Yesterday they announced they have, they have the votes. This is what gets my blood boiling. And it's, this is why I keep on saying I don't trust any of them on either side of the aisle. Um, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, whatever. Because if you're going to vote for this garbage, you are in bed with the enemy. All right. Uh, that might get me banned again from Facebook. Oh, well, whatever. But I'm simply saying there are things going on that are trying to cause uh, people, especially the church, Christianity, Christians, to compromise, to, to become tolerant, to accept just because they want us to accept their woke agenda. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. So basically, if you have your Bibles, it's also on your outline, Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As Mom Jan mentioned last Wednesday, this fourth letter of Jesus is the longest and the most difficult of the seven letters to look at, and it's written perhaps to the least important and the least remarkable of the cities which is maybe a way of saying that sometimes God, and she brought this out last week, sometimes God may have a lot, of, a lot to say to unimportant people, or it could be that no matter what others think, all people are important to God, even those that we might consider as unimportant. 
are insignificant. See, Thyatira, as would been mentioned, had become a commercial trading center of all the cities of Asia. This city archaeologically gives the most evidence of having the trade guilds, what we would perhaps call today trade unions. You also recall that it was the practice of these trade unions, uh, these guilds, to have their meetings in association with dedication, the, uh, dedicating the meeting to a god, and then following that sacrifice, meat would be eaten then by the worshipers. Then at the end of the feast, drunken revelry and the practice of immorality followed. And so basically, and I'm just reviewing this, but a Christian had a problem. If you were a Christian, if you wanted to go to work, you had to belong to a trade guild. If you belonged, you had to go to the meetings and then take part in the sacrifices to the gods and the eating of meat in the temple. And often following then was the practice of immorality in association with that worship, which then appears to be the problem that we'll continue to address tonight. And so Jesus is bringing this letter to the church by introducing them to his character and just by way of review. And I'm going to take a few minutes here because I've taught on this before. I've done a series on it, a teaching series. I've done a preaching series on it. And yet I, I'm studying it. And as we do, when we study God's word, something new always pops up. I guarantee you, any time and every time you study God's Word, Holy Spirit's going to reveal something new and quicken your spirit to something new. And so, so we talked about last week, you know, His character, He is the Son of God. The only time in this book that that phrase is used, we know it, we use it, but it's the only time in Revelation the Son of God is used. And then and that speaks of His authority, and then His eyes are like blazing fire, speaks of purity. His feet are like burnished bronze, speaks of dominion. And so I would kind of stop there, but then I kept on reading through the rest of this, being that it's a long letter, I mean, compared to the other ones. And then in verse 23, it also shows his character. He searches the hearts and minds of people. He knows everything that, that is about you. He searches our hearts and our minds. And then another one is he repays us according to our deeds, good or bad. He is a just judge. As mom brought out, and now this is my words, not hers, but, but one day, church, a loving Savior will be a severe judge. Get used to it, all right? I'm not sugarcoating this, but he is a just judge, and according to this letter, he will repay us according to our deeds, good or bad. And we also see, though, here that I've never saw before today, <laughs> is, is his willingness to forgive. I love this where he says concerning Jezebel, I have given her time to repent, which tells me even though she was wicked, she was leading others astray with her teaching, she was a self-proclaimed prophetess, all right? She was a self-anointed and self-appointed prophetess, I say, uh, but, but even though she was wreaking all this havoc in the church, it shows me the long-suffering of our Lord giving her a chance to repent, which tells me that God wants to uh, offer repentance to all people, not sending anyone to hell, but giving people a chance to repent. All right, once again, showing his nature, showing his character. He is loving, he is forgiving. So that's his character. And anything less isn't really a true biblical picture of Christ. And then once the Lord has the attention of this church, then he commends the church for certain qualities. 
and, and his commendation in verse 19 is the longest word of commendation or approval that's given to any of the churches. Now, you recall there are two churches. We covered one already, Smyrna. But Smyrna and Philadelphia are given no word of condemnation, only com- commendation, only commends them. But this word here, this word of commendation or approval is even longer than the approval given to the churches of Philadelphia and Smyrna for whom the Lord had nothing critical to say. And so his commendation is pretty long here. Now, sometimes we look at things in black and white and forget that in the midst of our failures, God might see some very redeeming qualities that are present in our life. And so Jesus here, even though there's a problem in this church that he's going to address, and he will do so shortly, Jesus commends them and gets around to letting them know of what he, he likes in their life. And so the commendation, what did he commend? In verse 19, I know your deeds, your works, your love, your faith, your service, and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Basically, uh, we have uh, six things there. Uh, their deeds, their, their love, number two, their faith, number three, service, four, perseverance, five, and doing more now than at first. And so this church is a church that appeared to have it all together once again. I mean, love is issuing forth in service as it should. Faith is issuing in patient endurance. And the Lord even adds, your latter works exceed your first works. Now, contrast that to Ephesus, where, love, where Ephesus was a church that was where their love has grown cold. Uh, and basically, which tells me then, looking at the bigger picture of things here, the more you and I mature in the Lord, the more we ought to be doing for him. Because Jesus commends this church for that. And, uh, and just as, as, as parents or as grandparents, you expect more from your kids or your grandkids as they grow and mature. God expects more from us as uh, you know, the longer we're saved and as we grow and mature in him. And so Jesus is saying that this church is maturing, is more alive in Christ than, the, than in the day when they started. And I thought, what a great commendation to give a person And I would love for the Lord to commend me or to commend this church like he did Thyatira. And so he commends this church for numerous things. And he even tells those who didn't hold on to the teaching of Jezebel, those who didn't learn the so-called deep teachings of Satan, he says, hold on to what you have until I come. I will not impose any other burden on you. And so not, the, not all in the church were corrupted by this woman Jezebel or her teaching. And, and yet the Lord, as he commends this church, also sees something wrong. He sees some flaws. And so he brings a word of complaint, all is not well. And that's what Jan got into last week as well. In verse 20, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now the word tolerate today, uh, we, we look at it, we being people today in general, look at tolerance as being a virtue. That if we tolerate someone who we differ in opinion with or dis- disagree with, whatever, but we'll tolerate them, well, that's a good thing. Well, not, not necessarily so. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality 
and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So the complaint here against his church is very simple. And there are a number of verses which explain the condemnation in verses 20 through 23. But the condemnation itself is, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. She is evidently part of the group which is, in other letters, have been identified as the Nicolaitans or the Bedlamites. They all basically believe the same thing. They believe in compromise with the world. They believe in what I would call cheap grace, greasy grace. Evidently, what this, this woman Jezebel is saying to this body is, hey, you have to go to the guilds, the, the, the work feasts and festivals, don't you? You have to earn a living, don't you? Hey, if you have to go to the pagan feasts at the temples, then go ahead and go. It's not going to hurt you. I mean, what harm is there if the body is engaged in sin because the spirit can't sin? This was the, this was a belief. Therefore, she is basically saying, I'm paraphrasing, ad-libbing. Uh, Therefore, serve God and engage in the heathen practices as much as you like. After all, you know, God understands. Anytime someone says to you, when leading you into sin, God understands, run as fast as you can. Get out of there, all right? Remember the teaching of Balaam that Jam brought out a few weeks ago? The idea is that because they were the blessed covenant people of God, they could not be cursed. Basically, since you're a Christian, you can live like you want to live and you will never lose out with God. It's okay to live however you want to live as long as you have Jesus too. Hey, it's okay. God understands. And yet, how often do we compromise with the world and think we are safe in the faith and say, hey, it doesn't matter how you live. You live like you want to live. I'll live like I want to live. It's all good. We're all going to get to heaven in the end anyway. I mean, you've asked Christ into your heart, didn't you? You know, and, and go ahead and do what the world does. Your conduct doesn't matter. Those habits, hey, no big deal. You got needs after all. I've been told by that from, quote, unquote, those who profess Christianity. Well, I've got needs, but I'm also going to be watching this pornography. I got needs. I've been told that in my office. And it's like, well, uh, I won't go there anyway. <laughs> but here, here's the deal. We all want the benefits of grace without the cost of discipleship, all right? I submit to you tonight that we have hundreds of thousands of quote-unquote believers who are convinced today that they can mingle with the world, engage in sexual immorality and every other sin, and yet still retain their salvation. After all, once saved, always saved. I mean, you, can, you can take this a, a number of different ways. But the key word really in, in this complaint, in this condemnation, is that word tolerance. Well, somehow the Lord is not tolerant here of her or of her teaching. Have you ever noticed that Christians who really take a stand for righteousness are seen in the eyes of others as being the most intolerant people? I mean, you Christians, you're, you're bigots. I mean, I read the, the, the report from... Uh, um, the gentleman from Family Research Council. But we're, we're accused of being bigots, narrow-minded, you know, of having strong opinions. I've been, I've been accused of that. And I, I'll tell you, I got very strong opinions. Very, very, very strong opinions. But I'm hoping it's, it's a biblical worldview and not a worldly worldview, all right? Um, because tr if you have a truly biblical worldview, honestly, you will stand out from the crowd. You will be different. As I shared from that article from Dr. Michael Brown a few weeks back, you will have a target on your back. Because if the world hated Jesus, it will hate you too. 
and I referenced then John 15, 18 to 22. Read it on your own. Uh, if the world hates you, keep in mind Jesus said it hated me first. Uh, the darkness, church, will always hate the light. All right? And, and the world will always reject God's word. That means that as we let our light shine, as we preach the truth in love, we will be hated and reviled by many. Or do we somehow think that we can be more Christ-like than Christ? And that we can be wiser than Jesus was, you know, more loving than the Savior? Not quite. And what is the reason, the one reason that Jesus said we are, to be pure, we are going to be persecuted? He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven when we are living for righteousness righteously we when we stand for righteousness we will be opposed and we will be vilified may i just tell you tonight get used to it because it's not going to get better it'll get worse buck up count on it in short, if we're not being persecuted or resisted or targeted on some level for our godly living and preaching in Jesus, then something is wrong. A student is not above, or a disciple is not above his teacher, Jesus said. And so tolerance, the Lord is calling here for intolerance in his people in respect to sin. Yes, love your enemies. Yes, tolerate, bear with one another in love. Yes, pray for those who persecute you. But church, never, ever tolerate unrighteousness and sin. So let's talk about the condemnation. I have this against you. Tolerate that woman Jezebel. What is it about this woman that has the Christian world in such a frenzy? What has elevated her, Jezebel, to her current status as queen of the principalities? Now, in some parts of the church, the Jezebel spirit, quote-unquote, has become the scapegoat and is blamed for whatever problems are troubling the flock. Now, to some, her power and influence are almost greater than the devil himself. Here in the second chapter of Revelation, as the spirit addresses the church in Thyatira, there is indeed serious concern about the influence of this woman Jezebel. But we need to examine the matter carefully and separate fact from fiction. So let's talk about some more tonight, kind of picking up where Jan left off last week, to Jezebel the facts. First of all, we need to understand, number one, that Jezebel did not have total sway over the entire congregation at Thyatira. In other words, she did not control everything that went on in the church. It's important to understand that her alleged power and position have greatly evolved over the centuries. I was telling mom before we started, uh, one of the things I read that I don't remember reading or studying in previous years when it comes to this is, is and then uh, I got to think of the name here, um, Stanley Horton, Stanley Horton, theologian Stanley Horton. He's with Jesus now as somebody who's got a theologian. He brought out in his commentary, reading that, and then also I read it in my complete biblical library commentary that he also contributed to writing. Um, uh, the, the phrase in some ancient manuscripts, that woman is referring to the pastor's wife of the church. That woman. So what, you know, I don't know if it was the pastor's wife or not, but if it was, it kind of gives a little bit of, of clarity of, of why they didn't address her, why they were afraid to confront her. 
well, it's the pastor's wife. You don't talk to, you know, you know what I'm saying? If she, if she was an error or whatever. But uh, uh, Jesus is simply saying that this church uh, is maturing, that the church is more alive in Christ in the day than they started. And so really he gives this wonderful commendation to this church. Uh, this was, as you recall, the only church of the seven that received a commendation for its love. All right, this divine endorsement tells us that this church was deeply devoted to Christ, to, to its lover, its master. They were free from the love of pleasure, money, and self. They had a deep affection for Christ. Now, in the book of Revelation, we need to see the three faces of Jesus. First of all, we have the affectionate bridegroom. Secondly, the glorious sovereign king. And then the fierce righteous judge. In his opening remarks, we see Jesus appears to the church in Thyatira as the affectionate bridegroom, responding to his affectionate bride. Even in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, John writes, To him who loves us. And so we see that affectionate, loving bridegroom. We know from this that despite something amiss in the church, there were a people who maintained their passion, who maintained their purity. I mean, they were still going strong in the Lord. And those that didn't pick up on Jezebel's teaching or the so-called deep things of Satan, Jesus says, hey, guys, just keep on doing what you've been doing. I, I, I lay nothing else on you. You're doing a good job. And so he commends this church for that. So, so Jezebel didn't affect everybody in that church. And it's important to keep that in mind as we consider Jezebel's influence because too many Christians and writers and teachers and commentators have elevated her to a position of greater power and authority than that of the believers themselves. One would almost think that any woman with a powerful presence operating in a local congregation today would certainly bring about its demise. Well, this is not an accurate or a fair account of how scriptures reveal the Jezebel here in Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Thyatira. Now, that's the first mistake, and she didn't, so she did not control everything that went on in the church. The second mistake is making a wrong connection between this Jezebel and another notorious woman in the Old Testament, Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab. Now, this is a common mistake that is often made when studying scriptures. Now, while it's good to know that Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab, and Jan taught that last week, we need to be careful that we don't jump to the conclusions with regard to other passages of scripture that appear to have similarities, but in fact have no relationship at all. There was a comment I put down in my notes from the Complete Biblical Library, and it's probably one of my favorite commentary sets put out by A.G., somebody's got theologians, that says this, actually, this Jezebel, speaking of Revelation chapter 2 that Jesus talks about in Thyatira, uh, was worse than the Old Testament Jezebel, the wife of the king of Israel, who tried to root out the worship of the Lord by enticing Israel to worship Baal and even making Baal their national god. This Jezebel, claiming to be a prophetess, was putting her words and her teaching above the teachings of Christ and the apostles. Friends, anytime someone in the church calls themselves a prophet or a prophetess, anytime they bring a word of revelation, we are to judge that word of revelation and examine it by the given revelation called the Bible. And if it doesn't line up to the word of God, we should dismiss it. 
and call it for what it is. We need to judge those things. Well, she was putting her teaching above the teachings of what we then know today as, as uh, of Christ and the apostles. And not only, this says, not only did she teach the people that it was acceptable in God's eyes for them to commit the spiritual adultery of mixing with idolatrous worship and idolatrous immorality, she cleverly seduced true servants of the Lord and led them astray from what was true and right. These were believers who really wanted to serve the Lord and had been faithful to Him. The good things that Jesus said about the church could be said of them initially, but since they had come under the influence of the prophecies and teachings false as they were of this Jezebel, they looked up to, up to her and became then her victims. Her, as it says in the words of Christ, her children. All right. Uh, so what am, I, what am I simply saying here is be careful when studying Scripture not to equate necessarily this Jezebel with the Jezebel of the Old Testament. Just like, for example, you wouldn't study the life of Saul in the Old Testament with the life of Saul who became Paul in the New, New Testament. Two different guys. The same thing is, is that of Joseph. Joseph, who became the ruler of Egypt. We don't, we don't study his life in order to learn something about Joseph, the husband of Mary. That's, 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 my, that's what I'm saying here. There is no relation between the two, so be careful when studying the Word that we don't make the connections that aren't necessarily there. It's good to know about them. It's good to study them, but be careful you don't make that connection if that connection isn't there. We're not sure or not. The third mistake I believe we make in the terms of the Thyatirans Jezebel is that we have added a supernatural dimension to her when none exists. For example, we now hear this phrase, well, that must be the person with the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of, the spirit of. One of the things I've noticed after 30 plus years of full-time pastoral ministry is that as soon as you put the word spirit before something, it immediately adds thrill value to its appeal. The Bible never addresses this woman as the Jezebel spirit or the spirit of Jezebel. Now, using this term may boost the sales of tapes or CDs or increase our insatiable hunger to know more about this evil wonder woman, but the Word of God does not bestow this title or any such power upon her. And then what do we make of the fact that the Lord Himself gave her, Jezebel, time to repent? Now, if we assume that some major spirit was residing in her, I would think that Jesus would have called the church together and said, you know, y'all ha have to have a, a, a prayer meeting and you need to cast that spirit out of her. And yet he says, no, I've given her time to repent. All right. Uh, and, and so uh, I've never heard of repentance used to exercise a spirit. Please don't misunderstand me. Yes, this woman was deceived, and yes, she was involved in spreading false teaching. And yes, the Old Testament Jezebel was synonymous with idolatry and with persecution. But I'm sh and I'm sure the enemy was using her big time. For certainly her teaching was not given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which is why we must reject all spokespersons who put their own words above biblical revelation. Now, what do we know about this woman is that she was self-appointed and self-anointed, who calls herself. She had given herself the title of prophetess and in turn gathered about her a group of ardent followers. This little band of disciples were eager to follow her every revelation and teaching. 
And apparently her message of liberty gave them the license they were looking for to engage in sin. All right, Jezebel had not only set herself up as a prophetess, she had also stepped into the role of teacher. She not only taught, but also led, I should say misled, the people. No doubt her revelations, quote-unquote, set her apart or having special insight and therefore drew an eager group of devoted followers. Now, if this, it was this influence, it was this influence that has now earned her the dubious title of the controlling spirit or Jezebel spirit. All leaders, good or bad, godly or ungodly, exercise a certain amount of influence or control. That's the nature of a leader. The problem with Jezebel's influence is that what she was doing was contrary to the word of God and the purpose of the word of God. Now, here's, the, here's what I'm trying to get across. Jezebel's problem in the church in Thyatira was not so much a control problem. Rather, she had wandered off into wrong, false doctrines and had become a false teacher leading others away from the knowledge of the truth. In my words, she was a wolf in shepherd's clothing. It would appear that her private revelation uh, revelations were ultimately taught as doctrines, which in turn were translated into action by those who became doers of, her, of the word, being her word. What these private revelations were, we don't know. However, we see the fruit of her teaching, and the fruit of her teaching was simply immorality and idolatry. The scriptures show that Jezebel's attitude and teachings resulted in loose sexual behavior. Perhaps this stemmed from a wrong concept of grace or an overemphasis of the Father's love or from some other teaching that minimized the standard of God's holiness. Moreover, the Lord's response to this woman was not to set the church upon a witch hunt to see who had been infected by her spirit. His response was simply to give her time to repent of her immorality. But, he adds, she is unwilling. And I saw, when I was reading this, I saw... The, the, the graciousness, the mercy of God, the mercy of God reaching out to someone who was false, falsely teaching things, and, and he gives her time to repent, which shows me his heart, but she was unwilling. She would not repent of her spiritual and moral adultery. This means she did not change her basic attitudes. She still maintained that the mixing uh, heathen worship and heathen practices with true worship was really not all that bad. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't sin. Now, even in the Old Testament, God pronounced his most severe judgment on those who tried to worship him and other gods as well. The church in the dark ages and, and of its history degenerated because they brought heathen ideas and practices into the church. At first they resisted bringing even pictures into the churches, but in time they brought in images like the heathen. They gave attention to the shrines and the sacred relics and such. Well, the false prophets of today are even worse because they give more attention to human ideas and human philosophies than to the Word of God. Or they will twist the Word of God to fit their human ideas and false teachings. It is sad that too often they, like this Jezebel, don't repent. They only proclaim, proclaim more loudly that their prophecies, their insights, their teachings, revelations are to be taken as authoritative. Since this woman wouldn't repent, 
he pronounces judgment on her and her followers. Now, why have we overlooked this and given Jezebel then some kind of supernatural status as being inhabited by a spirit? Well, I believe it's because of the phrase that is used in Revelation in connection with Jezebel is that she has the knowledge of the so-called deep things of Satan, Revelation 2.24. But the question arises, did this lady really have this knowledge or only profess to have it? I, I believe more likely it was posturing. For it appears that some pretense at knowing the mysteries of the satanic realm was the drawing card of her ministry. Uh, guess what? You know something I found out over the years? Been doing this for a number of years. Some people are just given over to that kind of thing. They're just given over to you know the latest revelation, the latest fad, this, that, or whatever. Uh, but it was a false front, a mask of power, a way to deceive other people into respecting her. Uh, she wanted to appear to others as being spiritual, have a little following, a little cult following, if you will. Again, excusing sin and leading others into immorality was her great sin. Now, why is that important for us today? How does it apply to us today? Well, guess what, church? We are living in a day and an age when we too are easily drawn in and mesmerized by someone who claims to have supernatural knowledge, especially of the satanic realm. To put it plainly, we are suckers for a cheap thrill. Consider the fact of the theme of spiritual warfare. That is currently a hot topic as it's ever been. Uh, not missions, mind you, but the seeking out and bringing down of satanic strongholds. Now, I, I, I've, I've done, again, I've done teaching series and preaching series on spiritual warfare. I've read numerous books, have articles in my files as well, and there appears to be a growing fascination even today among believers with the so-called deep things of Satan. And if you pay attention to the teachings on this topic, every year spiritual warfare becomes more and more complex. Now, the deeper we go into this arena, the more weird it all becomes there is a strange and alluring quality to spiritual warfare because it causes those who major in it to be caught up in its depths. All right. I, I remember hearing, you know, it's been a few years back, but hearing for the first time terms like spiritual mapping, warfare on high places, identification, repentance, reconciliation movements, and numerous other concoctions. I also recall the church was naive enough to believe that the name of Jesus was sufficient to pull down strongholds. Remember way back when? The simplicity of the gospel. Uh, but now there are ministries that spend tens of thousands of dollars hauling believers to some ancient high place in order to depose the queen of heaven or some newly discovered principality. I've read in the last few years of what is called grave sucking. How many have heard of that? Read of that, where people will go to the graves of, of the men and women of God that have been used of God and will lay on the graves, hopefully, to get something spiritual from them um, and I could give you names and places and people of this, but it's just stupidity in my mind. It's people taking things to the nth degree that has no biblical base for it. Now, where is all the insight into the weird and satanic taking us? See, we go deeper and deeper into trying to unravel the enemy's ways and in turn become more and more intrigued with his depths. Every week someone produces a new CD or book apparently vying for the title of guru, guru, guru or of spiritual warfare. Sadly, I think it's possible that the enemy takes pleasure in all the attention. 
and that he may be the one who continues to provide revelation to those who desperately want to stay ahead of the pack. Uh, here's my exhortation for all of us. It's very simple. Uh, please keep this to heart. Church, when it comes to spiritual warfare, uh, be more Jesus-focused than you are Satan-focused. Period. Be more Jesus-focused than you are Satan-focused. We must be more educated in the kingdom of heaven than in the kingdom of darkness. The so-called, the so-called, don't go there, all right? The so-called things of Satan. Now back to Thyatira. We, if we return to sanity and, and look with clear eyes at the Spirit's letter then to the church in Thyatira, what we see is that they tolerated a woman who taught false doctrine that led them into immorality. Now, do we see what's happened here? The sin for which this church was being corrected was having a tolerance for what should not have been tolerated. If we consider what the Spirit is saying to us today in this letter, it is this. We too err when tolerance takes priority over holiness. I mean, why is it today that very few Christians truly hunger to hear messages against sin and ungodly living? Where are the voices in Christianity that we need to hear proclaiming to us today a message of purity, a message of holiness, a message of be separate, saith the Lord? Why do we love to hear messages about blessings and prosperity or about self-improvement or some equally self-centered topic? Yes, Jezebel is alive, but she is not some woman sitting on the end of some pew manipulating others against the pastor or elders. Rather, the influence of Jezebel comes to us today through the so-called man of God standing in the pulpit proclaiming some watered-down version of the gospel that's devoid of the cross, repentance, and holiness. He is the one who speaks of nothing concerning repentance and holy living, but rather stresses God's understandings of our hang-ups and our problems. Well, God understands. You're okay. Everything's okay. He is the one who excuses our self-centered and carnal acts. Now, if we're going to invoke the name Jezebel, then at least let us be clear on what she was really known for. Control is never mentioned. Manipulation is never mentioned. But immorality and idolatry are. We would do well today to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to show us where we are tolerant of these attitudes that lead us away from God and into sin. In other words, ask yourself tonight, what am I allowing? Or what have I allowed that is leading me away from Christ? How have I compromised my relationship with Jesus Christ? This will take careful soul searching because today's idols are not the primitive works of art that our pagan forefathers bowed down to, but rather the sophisticated gods of sports, of finance, of pleasure, and of sex. As well, the laxness in our morality will be harder to spot because we talk in terms of understanding and we think that tolerating all manner of things today has become a virtue. Far from it. So while we in the church are out hunting for the enemy so we might wage spiritual warfare against him, the enemy has silently infiltrated us by breaching the walls of our own souls. 
This is the real Jezebel, the spirit of tolerance and compromise, one we have allowed to infiltrate the church, rendering her impotent of all spiritual life and diverting her energy into carnal pursuits rather than advancing the kingdom that we are supposed to love. I'm afraid that we have simply repackaged God to our own liking. Our new God is forever wearing a happy face. Our new God is more loving and understands our weaknesses and our hang-ups. We have given God this facelift because we are really actually afraid of offending people today by calling sin, sin, by calling people to repentance. By softening our approach to morality and the idols of the day, we turn around, though, and instead of offending people, we are offending a holy and a just God. Herein lies our idolatry. The new, more user-friendly God is more interested in our happiness than in our holiness. Riches are in, relationship is out. Holy passion for the things of God has been replaced by personal passion and fulfillment. I got news for us today. The cross of Jesus Christ is not user-friendly. It's user-deadly. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross meant one thing, death to self. Death to self. Let me give a word of warning, though, as to what will happen if you repent and turn back to worshiping the one true God to whom idolatry and immorality really do count as sin. Because anyone teaching on the disciplines of Christianity, on holiness, on commitment, is said even today to have a religious spirit. You're just too religious. You're just this Jesus lover person or whatever. Whereas the body of Christ should have no tolerance for sin, for immorality and idolatry, it now has little tolerance for talk about being separated from the world and becoming holy. It now has very little to no tolerance for those who call them higher to prayer and fasting and being faithful to God and making right choices and laboring for his kingdom and tithing. Let me conclude by looking at the word of counsel that the Lord Jesus gives this church. Number four on your outline, his counsel, a word of correction, a word of exhortation. Jesus is telling this church as well as the church in general, us even today, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Friends, he is simply saying to us today, as he said to them, put away tolerance of sin, which would soil you. Put off the dirty linen of the world and wait upon me and trust in my authority and my power. I am the ultimate authority and ruler. Go after my presence. I am the morning star. Just a quick little word about the morning star here. It's a beautiful figure of speech in reference to Christ because when the night of the world is gone and the morning has come and all the other stars have faded from view and only he is left to gaze at. All the stars of human personality, all the stars of great ideas and wise men, all that fades in comparison to the glory of Christ who continues to shine in the day. Jesus says, I'll give you myself in the morning. All the other stars are burned out, but this is the only star that's still shining. I am the morning star. This is the only star. He is sufficient. He is our all in all. And the Lord then says to us, he who has an ear, let him hear. 
Jesus tells us in Revelation 2.23, he searches our hearts and minds. Interesting, the word translated hearts literally means kidneys. The function of the kidneys in the natural body is that of filtering and eliminating waste from the body. The body of Christ in Thyatira was suffering from spiritual kidney failure. Interesting. What should have been eliminated was allowed to remain within the body, thus poisoning the body. And Jesus is saying, deal with that. Deal with that. And because of a lax and tolerant attitude, nobody seemed to notice or be concerned about the toxin. And the Spirit is saying, wake up. Look at what's happening to you. Today, like then, we need to heed the Spirit's warning. Body of Christ, are we allowing ourselves to be toxified by our tolerance of idolatry and immorality? We are if we no longer expose sin and eliminate it by taking corrective action. Today, we do not know how to govern ourselves, and it's the spirit of holy self-discipline that the Spirit of God must restore if we are to be the holy, powerful witnesses that He wants us to be on earth. For how will we ever have authority with the world if we do not know how to govern ourselves? For this reason, the Holy Spirit is still saying to the church, He who overcomes and does my will to the end, to Him... I will give authority over the nations. Thyatira, you've been used to, you're used to being governed by all these, all these principalities and powers that come in as a garrison city, but hey, I want you to overcome and I want you to do my will to the end. We must heed his warning because, as I said earlier, one day a loving Savior will be a severe judge. He searches, he examines, he investigates the kidneys, the reins, the hearts, that is the innermost parts of, the be- of, our, of our beings, of our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, our motives, our feelings. Jesus Christ knows what is really within the heart. He knows what is behind the deeds, the actions. He, as an impartial judge, will give to each one according to his works, not as the individual sees them, but as he sees them. That's a key point. He will judge and and according to each each works, not as you see it, but as he sees it. And so according to John 5, 22 and 30, his judgment is just because he seeks not his own will, but the will of him who sent him. We all would do well to heed his word. Let me reread and close with this. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So, here comes the judgment. I will cast her on a bed of suffering and will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children, her followers, dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. We serve A loving God, yes we do, but we also serve a just God who will search and examine to make sure that what's within is pleasing his sight. And he he ends it by saying, hey, those who have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, thus ending the longest letter written to the churches, that being of Thyatira. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the character that we see in Christ. I thank you, God, for uh, the, the, the characteristics of his, of his forgiveness, of his love, of his concern, but also of his judgment that we don't often see or talk about in the church today. And so, God, I pray that, that not only seeing your character, we would see the things that you commend as well as the things you condemn. And then your counsel, the counsel to overcome, the counsel to do your will to the end, the counsel for some, even in that church, to lay no other burden on them but just to continue doing what they were doing because they didn't buy into the false teaching of this woman. And I pray, God, that our eyes would stay focused on the morning star, on Christ himself. When everything else is faded, may we see Jesus high and lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being here. I went a little bit long. If you have kids, pick them up from kids' churches. Other than that, next week, no Bible study next Wednesday. Uh, we do need help for Sunday, uh, Monday night for, for setting up the decorations. If you can help, there's a sign-up sheet out there for that. And then other than that, God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. Amen.